Welcome everyone to the Caribbean Science Fiction Network, a celebration of all things fantasy, folklore, speculative fiction, and of course, science fiction. Today I have with me Robert Anthony, Trinidadian, Bohemian, and US citizen. You know, I say the camera does this magical thing that outperforms language. I think the discussion is going to be extremely fruitful and that's a pun on the text that we will be talking about, which is Cut Guavas or the postscript to the civilization of the Simeons. It makes the illusion of reality. That's the camera's finest achievement and ability to, to place you in a scene or in a character visually and every other way. It has that immediacy. So Robert, welcome to the Caribbean Science Fiction Network. It's a pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here as well. I'm really excited to be talking about this new text. It connects in so many ways to not just science fiction, but also something deeply rooted in Caribbean identity. You take on history a lot, not just in this novel, but, 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 but many of your others. So you want to also talk about, give us an introduction to, to Cudgovers as well as this idea of history and, and how does why, why does it figure so much into your overall uh, literary oeuvre? The novel tells one story that is Austin's story, but it also tells three stories. So there's first story is Austin's making the sequel to The Planet of the Apes. Second story is Austin's discussion of that movie with Rob and his wife in their home eating takeout food. And the third story is the film within the film, the story within the story, which is Austin's parentage. Austin's, the affair Austin's mother had with, with my grandfather, his father. It's a mishmash, mashup of those, those three stories. Immediately upon opening this book, I was captured by that one line, it's a novel shape-shifting as a screenplay. I want I, I want you to explain this this idea of shape-shifting because there are many layers of shape-shifting in the novel as well as people shape-shifting. So how do you see these layered experiences of shape-shifting, of the novel, of characters shape-shifting? How do you see those experiences coming together to expand your overall dive into history? I'm always playing in in the novels about what is real and what is not, what is fabricated and what is quote-unquote history. And my goal is to make you believe the fabricated stuff as um, fervently and um, convincingly as, 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 the, as the other, as the, the real, the established history. One scene in particular in the novel, I was fascinated by the description of cutting the gopher because your writing, it, it places it in that position. I mean, in addition to the camera lens, which, which, which focuses our direction, we, we, we are put in that position and we see um, that, that, that act of cutting the gopher from that perspective. And I want to ask you why cutting a gopher? Why make this so essential to the novel, screenplay's title? as a sort of counterpoint to the postscript. Well, I had always recognized that scene as kind of the 
part of the novel, the scene where Austin's mother is behind the kitchen cutting up guavas and and Barto, my grandfather, Austin's father, approaches her physically and it's not even clear what his intentions are or what takes place. Um, I really never thought of cutting the guava as related to the camera cut. I love that because for me, the little sort of video making I've done, um, for me, the, the, the most wonderful role in making a film is, is doing the editing. That's where, that's where all, everything takes place, all of the excitement. The other reason that I liked the Cut Guava title is because I had always loved um, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's essay called Olor de Guayaba. Garcia Marquez said that he had, he realized he had forgotten the smell of a guava and that he understood that he had to pick up and return to the Caribbean, to Aracataca or Colombia, so that he could, he could smell a guava again. You know, the essence of the Caribbean was in that, that smell of the guava. That's what drew me to the title, but, and it's also what I'm, what I do in that scene is kind of very risky and bullface, but I put the reader inside Madeline, Austin's mother's body. I actually want the reader to experience that scene inside of her body. And how you do that is a very simple technique of verisimilitude. Verisimilitude for me is the illusion of reality. The best tool to accomplish that is the senses. Give a reader something to smell, give the reader a, a texture, and they're there, eating out of the palm of your hand. I did a reading, a virtual reading at Brown, and the class had read the novel, and one of the students said that he was reading the book late at night, and he actually had to call security to come over because he was so scared. And there's tiny little things like, you know, Bartow presses up softly yet solidly against Madeline's back. Well, you know, that sort of gentle touch is, is so much more effective. Um, so I was trying to do all of that in, in, in that, that scene. At one point, the novel says the camera does a magical thing, and that really encapsulates oh, this style of writing. So, tied to that idea of magic, it does seem as a form of technology where the the, the camera is taking on this 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 role of facilitating that that shape shifting almost, where you sort of back and forth from the your back and forth between perspectives. Do you see this this camera as functioning as a form of technology for us to, in a way, view history? You know, the camera does that same technical thing that the writing does. There's something called a shot-reverse-shot sequence where the camera looks over a character's face, uh, over a character's shoulder, and then you then it gives us a, a quick shot of the, the character's face and then it returns 
to the shot over the shoulder again. So that's doing the same technical thing that, that we do in our writing all the time. The spoof, the fun that I'm having with that particular scene is that, you know, I say the camera does this magical thing that outperforms language, that does something writing could never do, could never aspire to, because the camera is a much more sophisticated technology, let's say. But the, the joke is that I've just done it. I have just done what I say the camera could never do in writing. So that was sort of always my kind of, my kind of in, insight joke, you know. I'm doing exactly what I tell myself is impossible to do. So turning it to history, what the camera does, it makes verisimilitude. The illusion of reality. Um, that's the camera's finest achievement and ability to, to place you in a scene or in a character visually and every other way. It has that immediacy. It has that extraordinary capability. The writer is doing the same thing, except much, much slower. And the writer is doing it with the help of the reader. The writing makes a movie in the reader's mind. It's much slower, it's much, much more subtle, but it's the same thing. That movie in the reader's mind, sort of that, that dream that occurs, is really just like the work of the camera. Going with the idea of technology, what, I mean, the, there's all of these layers in Carquavas. There's the movie that the older Austin is making, is the film within the film, which is the story of Austin's parenting. I, I, want to I want to talk about this idea of breaking boundaries because in addition to this idea of fan fiction as existing outside of the canon, um, Caribbean SF in many ways exists outside traditional science fiction canon as well. Um, so I want, I want you to speak a bit about how Cut Grovers fits into this idea of uh, outsider fiction from a Caribbean perspective, but also um, breaking boundaries because the issue of ownership comes up, um, taking on the planet mafia, so to speak, uh, of, of Planet of the Apes. So, so can you talk to us about breaking boundaries with regard to, to outsider fiction and ownership? I embarrassingly never had any interest in science fiction. Never read any of it in terms of the Planet of the Apes films. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the legality issues that I was kind of purposely dealing with and also playing with, testing the boundaries of. It's 20th Century Fox who owns the franchise with the planet franchise which with which they guard with gold teeth it's probably one of their biggest money makers so i knew i was getting my ass in some big trouble <laughs> dealing with this this thing right from the right from the get go i actually have whole pages that i've lifted from the screenplay of the original Planet movie, which was called, I remember now, um, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. 
Um, I've removed whole pages and twisted them ever so slightly to turn them on their head, to turn it into parody. But the fact is the, those pages are right there. Um, and what I found myself involved with was a huge, was an enormous discussion about copyright and, um, intellectual property and free use. But I really wanted to kind of push those boundaries. What is originality? Is there originality? Is anything original? Um, and what rights do I have over it? You know, monetarily, artistically. I'm always, you know, cutting off my own feet. From Divina Trace, I, I, where I put that mirror, that piece of mylar in the middle of the novel, you know how much I had to fight to get that? Um, you know, the glass page in, in Blessed is the Fruit. Um, you know, and this time it's like I'm taking on 20th Century Fox publisher. Um, you know, I'm probably going to land myself in jail, publisher, you know, but... The only way I could sit down to write was to try to do something that had never been done before, to break the boundaries, to make the, the, the physical book into something else, take it a, beyond itself, beyond the, the borders of the cover. That's always what thrilled me about those, you know, modernist and postmodernist writers and that's what i wanted to do i mean in a i mean in a sense some of the feedback i've gotten is that i feel dated because you know this is the kind of experimentation that belongs to a kind of earlier literary era if that does that make sense what i'm saying daryl um but it ain't <laughs> it ain't you know it's like Who's including the internet in their novels, you know? I love the idea of Walcott's grand gesture, that the Caribbean writer cannot help but but do it with a flourish. You know, that's what we that's what we do. Oh, Walcott said, talked about the the grand gesture. Caribbean person walks a certain way. A Trinidadian inhabits a, a space that's nobody else does it quite like that. Um, you know, it's what makes things like Carnival and Steel Band and, you know, it's, it's the, 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 the exuberance of the Caribbean person, the Caribbean writer, Caribbean writer. Um, so I'm always, I mean, I like it or not, I'm always in that place. So the history of the Caribbean is such that many things happened concurrently, many things happened differently, it happened at different times. So even, even though you see yourself as, and this text, and your literary oeuvres as experimenting in, in such a way as, as, as reflected by the modernists, I think that that doesn't really matter. Whether or not we're, we're experiencing your fiction as experimentation now, I think that just speaks to the, the the dynamism really of Caribbean history, and I, I I want to bring that back to something I want I want to ask you because this idea of 
the, the quote-unquote highly contested theory of evolution, which is referred to by one of the characters. And we have another character, Eva, who talks about returning to all the history. Um, so, you know, there, there are multiple, almost competing uh, scales of history. So on the one hand, we have evolution, which moves forward, yet Eva is referring to an old history, which is taking us back. Um, so I want, to, I want you to shed some light on, on the science of evolution against the backdrop of history, which, of course, the science of evolution is very much aligned with Planet of the Apes. Evolution has always been my deal. For me, the greatest observation or discovery science has made is, is evolution. I was always fascinated by it. I was always fascinated by monkeys. Divina Trace is a, is, is a novel about monkeys. In the heart of that book is a retelling of the, the Hindu myth, the, the Ramayana. And in the heart of the Ramayana, in my book, and in, this, and, and in the Ramayana text itself is the is Hanuman, the monkey god's story of the monkey tribes, which Hanuman in my novel, Divina Trace, tells in his monkey language. And here I stumble onto a, <laughs> to a story about apes, you know? Um, that's the story that's given to me by my uncle, really. Um, how can I not talk about evolution? You know, how can I not play with evolution? You know, there's always all these, there's always all of these dichotomies that I love to set up and break and, and spoof on. But, you know, I want to pit science against religion. I want to pit, um, superstition against, against religion. You know, Garcia Marquez, I'm talking about him a lot today. Always, he also said that if you can't be religious, at least be superstitious. And this boy, this boy is the most superstitious person alive. So, so, so I'm always spoofing on all of this stuff. I'm spoofing on religion. Um, I'm spoofing on science. I'm spoofing on superstition. But it's a, it, it's also kind of a serious amount of spoofing. <laughs> so far as the canon goes the SF canon, the canon of Caribbean Caribbean writing. Caribbean literature is still, for me, marginalized. Um, and probably, I don't know about it, but I would say probably more so in SF, in terms of the SF canon again. But, but this place of marginalization, this place of kind of always being an outsider is a privilege. It's, it's an amazing space to inhabit because it allows you to do whatever you want. Break any boundary you want. You can do it, you know, because you're not you're not part of that kind of elite group. This idea of outsider fiction and who gets who gets to be included 
who gets to be included in the camera lens to extend your use of the camera and who gets left out. So I think it very much fits in. I want to touch on that idea of, of retelling Hindu myth because, as you mentioned, that, that, that repeats in Kadgovas and in particular in the figure of Hanuman. Um, and it fits so well with, with, with Planet of the East because Hanuman bridges that, that fictional yet physical battle between man and ape. At one point, I lived in Trinidad for a year or so, and I spent most of that time in the Acerai bird sanctuary. I was working on Vina Trace. They gave me a room, they gave me some light duties, and it was amazing. But a short walk from Azerite is Temple Village. And I got to know the Pundit in Temple Village. And I used, I mean, practically every day I would go and talk with the Pundit who told me a Caribbean, Caribbeanized version of the Ramayana. And I think that kind of sparked my fascination with, with the Hindu myths. But Hanuman, as the, as the monkey god, you know, all my monkey stuff, but also the scribe and the storyteller, you know, was just always absolutely fascinating to me. So, like I said, you stumble into a story about apes, Hanuman bound to show up, um, you know, and I troubled a lot over the idea of tying Obama, who is my hero, one of my three heroes, um, to Hanuman. What I did very consciously is always talk about Hanuman or try talk as much as I could about Hanuman as the god rather than the monkey, or make sure I prefaced the monkey with his, his godliness. Robert, we've, we've come to the end of the chat. Um, I want to encourage everyone to, the, the book is available on, on Amazon. Um, it's available locally in Trinidad. Um, so, so, so why not? It's, it's a creative, it's a creative text that really pushes the boundaries. And I think it's, it's one, whether you're a fan of Planet of the Apes, whether you're a fan of Caribbean SF, whether you're a fan of Robert Anthony's fiction, I think there's something here for everyone. Robert, any final words for listeners? No, just, just, just thank you. Thank you. Um, one of my good friends who is also a much more important writer than I am, you know, talked to me the other day about, um, about feeling irrelevant. And I thought like, what does that mean to be relevant? Who is that, you know, who is relevant? But let me tell you, having your amazing mind turn to this, this work, having, a discussion about technological stuff that nobody seems to have noticed really that to me is being relevant feeling relevant being part of something and i can't 
Really, I cannot thank you enough, Gerald. So as I said, check out Robert's book on Amazon. And of course, um, tune in next time to the next episode of the Caribbean Science Fiction Network. Bye.